Well, today I want to talk a little bit about something that does sneak up on you and in time will sneak up on you. As a matter of fact, this is kind of a a leftover piece of leaven from the days of unleavened bread that I wanted to share with you today. And I want to focus on this one aspect of leaven in our lives, even though we're outside of the days of unleavened bread, but certainly I think the metaphor still applies. And frankly, we could still apply the same metaphor going months out in ahead because in our case of living, we find ourselves, of course, uh, facing a lot of challenges that do indeed challenge our Christianity. And this item I want to talk about does indeed challenge our Christianity. It is a silent killer. They say hypertension, high blood pressure, is indeed a silent physical killer. People walk around life not even realizing they've got hypertension, that they've got high blood pressure in their veins. And all of a sudden, one day, boom, they're out with a stroke, heart attack. Sometimes they die. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're hurt for life, and we have to go on from there. Other times uh, we, as I say, don't survive. The reality of it is it's a silent killer. Oftentimes, you don't even know you have it. I recommend, as a matter of fact, everybody gets a little high blood pressure problem. You, uh, uh, not problem, but uh, high blood pressure. It is a problem. It is a problem. <laughs> but a high blood pressure machine. So you can test for the problem. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. And uh, consequently, um, uh, be able to stay on top of that because sometimes you don't really realize how your blood pressure rises throughout the day. And it's interesting to see so you can monitor perhaps how certain things do indeed affect you uh, through the course of the time of your life. But today I want to talk about a spiritual silent killer that goes right along with, in parallel, and certainly uh, uh, analogous to this high blood pressure uh, item that I've been talking about because it is very dangerous and it is a spiritual killer if you allow it to capture you, if you allow it to carry on with you. Now, it can be a major disorder. doesn't have to be. doesn't have to be. And it shouldn't be in all due respect. But it can develop into a major uh, disorder, but it is certainly a personality characteristic that every one of us, sooner or later in the course of life, will indeed experience and go through due to, due to disappointments in life, due to losses in life, and due to, in many respects, as I say, expectations not being met. What is it? I've talked about it before. Matter of fact, I talked about it about two or three years ago now, and I think you can perhaps review the presentation uh, back, I think, in January of 2015. It's on the Internet uh, on our website called Dealing with Depression. I want to redress this characteristic about depression and go back into it from a different angle, though, this time. Last time, I went into some detail on how to 
solve some things, how to, how to pick up on the challenge of depression, how to essentially approach it in trying to resolve it and extrapolate it out of your life. Today, I want to take a bit of a, a different approach toward it and focus in one area of it as I will get to it. But before I go ahead and do that, I want to kind of go ahead and redefine just exactly what is depression. What are we dealing with here? Because a hundred million plus people, brethren, throughout the world are suffering from some type of depression. And depression comes in basically two broad forms. I address this on dealing with depression. And uh, those two forms, of course, are acute, which is a mild depression. And then there's chronic depression which is something that people learn to live with because they don't even realize they're depressed and subtly, incrementally, step by step as their life unfolds in front of them, they begin to get comfortable in the mood that they are in and begin to settle in the role. And before you know it, over a period of years, if they do wake up or if they do tend to stop and take a breath and look back on their life, they'll say, wow, have I changed. And it may not necessarily be for the better. It could be, but it may not be, especially when you're dealing with depression. Because depression has a negative spin to it. And so over a hundred million people suffer from this worldwide. And they claim in excess of 15 to 20 percent of the United States' population suffers from some kind of depression. Why? Oh, there's all kinds of sources. Tons of sources. I think your minds, as you can begin to even calculate and reflect on some of the things that affect you in certain ways, that bring you down, as they would say, you can kind of think about what those are. You know, news. (laughs) The news can really bring you to, sometimes you just got to unplug and take a breath and get away from it. You know, pressures, finances, a lot of things that feed it, change of job. Change of a major in college, rethinking where you live, buying a new car, something as simple as maybe going into a store and buying a suit. What color should I choose? A lot of people get stressed out on sometimes some of the littlest things, whereas other people just kind of take it in stride through life. And everybody, let me say this right off the bat, brethren, everybody gets affected by depression differently. It affects everybody differently. But chronic depression can get pretty serious. It can cause you physical harm. It can prevent you from sleeping. Oh, yeah. It can cause you not to eat. Or it can even cause you to overeat. (laughs) Some people are affected differently. Anxiety, stress, desperation. Many, as I say, get affected by it quite differently. 
Now, the definition of a depressive disorder, I'm going to focus just for a moment on the more serious point of depression. Coming to you from the magazine Psychology Today stated this, a depressive disorder, now this is a serious depression, a depressive disorder is an illness that involves the body, mood, and thoughts. It interferes with daily life, normal functioning, and causes pain for both the person who's depressed and those around them. That's important. That's important. If you care about others, then it's important that you keep whatever depressions you experience through your life under control. That's the key. And I want to mention that with emphasis and put a little exclamation mark here as I park for a moment. That it's okay. It really is okay to be depressed. It's okay to grieve the loss of a loved one. You know, I had to put down a, my, one of my cats a while back. <laughs> you know, I don't even like cats. But, but, but I had to put down my cat. Her name was Sadie. And I had, Margie wouldn't go. She said, you go. <laughs> so I, I had to take the cat. And I had to go in there. And I don't even like cats, like I said. But when I held that cat in my arms as they put that big needle in her, and she looked up at my eyes, and I said, oh, yeah, this is the epitome of betrayal. <laughs> but the fact of it was, it depressed me. I was depressed. I walked out in my car, and I was crying. Yes, I was. I was crying. <laughs> Margie's over there. She's playing piano. But I couldn't believe that I was crying over this cat, Sadie, and I don't even like cats. But I guess it proved that I do have a heart. <laughs> but the reality of it is, things can depress us. However, it's how we handle it. Now, did I obsess over that grief? It's not healthy, brethren. Obsessing over things that depress you is not healthy because you're opening up the gate for the depression like black smoke grabbing your ankles to tackle you and hold you down. And we're going to talk a little bit about the manifestations of how this black cloud is able to grab you and over years continue to trip you up and prevent you from maximizing your gifts, your skills, and your talents because in time, over a period of time in your life, it will rob you of joy. You will learn not to be joyful. And joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse about 22. This is serious. It's a silent killer, brethren. Because what happens is people begin to settle in to a comfort zone that robs them of joy, to where you can't enjoy things. things. Things that you used to enjoy don't give you a rise anymore. And you don't know even why. And so we have this definition. And it's nothing new. I mean, in the Bible, and I'm not going to turn to the Scriptures due to time, uh, that I have here in my limitations, but you know some of the stories. Let me reference them in passing. How about Elijah? Remember when he was dealing with Jezebel and he was running around and he said, Oh, woe is me! 
I'm the only one left. And he went up there in that area where he was secluded away from everybody. He said, kill me. Now, that's depression. The Bible doesn't talk about it in that term, using the word depression. But Elijah, anybody who wants to kill themselves, you can best believe, are really disturbed and depressed over something to get them to the point, the threshold of futility of that degree and level. Elijah was depressed. He was upset. How about Esau? Remember Esau coming to Jacob, the porridge, the, 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 you know, the soup? And Esau, so hungry, so hungry. And Jacob saying, okay, you know, hey, guess what? I, I got this porridge here, but I got a deal for you. <laughs> you got to give me your birthright. Give me your birthright, I'll give you the soup. Well, Esau said, well, what do I do with the birthright? I'm hungry. Short term, you know, forget about long, short term. I want it now, immediate. I'm hungry. Give me the soup, Jacob. And then we go down a few chapters there in Genesis. Uh, I think Genesis roughly about chapter 27. The story of the, of the betrayal or the, uh, the trade-off of the, of the uh, birthright was in Genesis 25. You go down to about Genesis 27, and you read the story about now. Here's Isaac. He's dying, right? Not you, Isaac. <laughs> and Isaac is dying, and he's being fooled by Jacob. Where's Jacob? He's not here. Oh, there he is. <laughs> and Jacob is being essentially uh, fooling Isaac, his father, and he leaves the tent, and here comes Esau with, with the venison, and he's getting all ready to get his blessing. He says, what do you mean the blessing isn't here? What, Dad, what do you mean? And then, he sold it. Oh, I remember. And you read about in Hebrews that he wept so bad, and we're going to go to there in a little bit. He was so depressed, he found no place to do something that feeds this depression I'm talking about, which I'll get to in a minute. Depression is complex, brethren. It's a broad subject, very broad. And there's so many things. You could talk about depression be rather depressing, but you could talk about depression on sermon after sermon after sermon because there are so many tentacles, so many venues, so many rabbit holes that are in fact associated with this particular characteristic. And it takes on so many different formations and Satan, the devil, uses it consistently upon us. And if we're not careful, we can get captured by a few of his efforts from time to time. But again, here's my point. I want you to get this so that we all have a heads up on this. And, and frankly, this subject really does merit being redressed from time to time because it is so prominent among us in life because life is dynamic and there are things in our lives that are frankly depressing from time to time. And whenever you have disappointment, whenever you have loss, whenever you have expectations not met, you're going to have the potentiality of acute depression or, if you're not careful, you will allow another incremental step to build and repack the ingredients that are driving you into a chronic depressive order. Disorder, I'm sorry, disorder. So it's important, and here's the point. 
Depression affects us all, and that's why it's so important to talk about it. We all are subject to it, and we're all vulnerable to it. The key is, though, we do indeed have to keep it under control. So be heads up, FYI, you're going to somewhere down the road. If you haven't already been and have gone through a few uh, valleys and mountains, so to speak, and and rises and, and downers, guess what? There will be more up ahead because there will be more losses. There will be more disappointments. You won't get the job you wanted to. You won't be able to live in the place you lived. You won't be able to drive the car you want to drive. Maybe you won't even be able to marry the person you wanted to marry. There'll be a lot of things, a lot of things. You wish the dog lived longer, you know. All these things that we find ourselves contending with in our lives and do, in fact, affect us because we're emotional beings. And remember what I said when we went through the presentation on the emotional control handles? Remember how we're all so used to being geared toward thinking that we've got to guard our minds. We need to put a hedge of awareness. Hopefully God's got his hedge of protection around us, but we need to put a hedge of awareness around us that we understand that Satan the devil is not only after our thoughts, not only after our thinking, not only after the way we process information, but he's also working the window of our emotions. Remember how I was saying our moods, you know, our emotions, those are a window of control that Satan the devil will use against us if indeed we do have some weaknesses. So keep in mind, I want, I want to give us all a heads up today. Depression is normal. It's okay. It's okay to cry when you have a loss. It's okay to cry when you have a disappointment. It's okay to cry when an expectation is not met, whether it's by your your own responsibility that you didn't fulfill and you caused harm or pain or disappointment to someone else or whether it's someone else who didn't fulfill an expectation for you that you had high hopes for and they disappointed you. It's okay to be depressed over some of these things throughout life. So don't think it's abnormal. Don't look at it as, oh, man, I'm depressed, so that means I'm a weak person. No, 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 no. That means, all that means is you're a human. (laughs) You're human. It's normal to go through these things. What's abnormal is to allow the depression to embrace you to where it begins to modify your personality into an area that is not necessarily how you want to be defined in a more balanced way. And so it becomes quite critical. Here in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 69, let me bring your attention to some some of this uh, with regard to some of the emotional depressions expressed by David. Very, you know, we sometimes think the Bible is not a psychology book. Brethren, it's a psychology book. It's a great psychology book. And it has the answers on how to combat some of these things. Psalm 69 is a good illustration of something here that I think all of us can hopefully find some some help in. Notice David's writing. Save me, O God, 
for, uh, for the waters are coming in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods, I'm overwhelmed. They're overflowing me. I'm down. That's what he's saying. I'm on my face. I'm up to my eyeballs in mire. I can't hardly stand. I'm in deep water. I'm weary of my crying. I'm tired of crying. I'm crying so much, I'm tired of crying. This is what David is saying. He is, dep- he is down in the pits. I want to know how he's going to get out. And guess what? You're going to find out here in a moment. He goes on. My throat is dry. My eyes are failing while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hair. I got more enemies than friends. I got more enemies, more than hair on my head. For some of us, that may not be a whole lot of enemies. <laughs> it's a joke, just a joke. Uh, he goes on here and he says, Oh God, you know, it's verse 5, my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek you be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. For the zeal of your house has eaten me up. These are prophetic words Jesus used in himself. Remember when he overthrew the tables in the temple and so forth? The zeal of his father's house ate him up and it turned him into uh, a real, uh, what you could say, aggressive machine there on that afternoon a couple of times, as a matter of fact, as your New Testament portrays him. He says, the approaches of them, verse 9, that reproach you are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. I became mocked. They looked at me as being silly. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards or the drinkers of strong drink. Verse 13, But as for me, my prayer is unto you, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me. In the truth of thy salvation. And he proceeds to elaborate on a very important characteristic that all of us should never forget while we're in the midst of what I call the black cloud. And you know what that is, brethren? You know what that characteristic is? Is hope. Hope. Hope of seeing light at the end of the tunnel and keeping your eye on that goal as you go through this darkness. And that can be defined depending on what you're involved with and what you're dealing with, of course, and the circumstances you're contending with all determine, they all determine how that white light at the end of that dark tunnel is defined. But the point, the key, keep that focused. Stay hopeful even through the depression. And that does another thing for you. It defines a conclusion. It defines a conclusion, meaning the depression is indeed going to end somewhere up ahead. You're not going to settle with it 
and allow it to take an incremental modification effect on your personality to afford you some kind of a modification in your behavior. That's important. That's important to keep yourself in hope. I'm going to reference, I'm not going to turn there, but I will reference again, same theme, larger scale, a bit more elaborate in its approach toward the um, theme that I just described here in short in uh, chapter 69. But read Psalms 88, a chapter of despair, and then continue to read through chapter 89, a chapter of hope. David goes down and David comes up. It's important, brethren, to understand these metrics, these mechanisms by which we can, in fact, recover from this very, very silent killing characteristic that if indeed we allow to come home to us, capture us, and hold us down in some way or hitch a ride on our back and is always with us to a certain extent, and the longer it's with us, the more effect it has in changing our personalities to where eventually, years down the road, it will rob you of joy. I'm telling you, it will. You will find as you go down through the years, things that should make you happy won't. Because you've allowed You've allowed a subtle depression in the beginning to find a home in your personality. And like a drug, brethren, in so many respects, it does indeed oftentimes find itself really, really taking a very negative effect on personalities. Now, I want to take a shift on all of you because this is a broad subject. And depression affects all of us in different arenas. The arena of our social life is one arena where we interact. We interact with friends. We interact with the boss on the job. We interact with people at school. We interact with the people that we come in contact with over at the grocery store or over at the bank or over, you know, wherever we may go at the, at the workout center, you know, the gym. All of these things, of course, are arenas. There's the arena of gender, the communication of guy to guy, guy to woman, child to adult, and vice versa. But in gender arenas, of course, there is also, again, more interpersonal relationship metrics that are involved that present potential for the emergence of disappointment, loss, expectations not met. So you have all of this in the mix. And though I don't have that kind of time to focus on all those areas, I do want to focus in this arena today. I want to redress this interpersonal venue, which is the communique that is being used in so much of the development of our relationships and how it affects in this arena, and this is the arena I'd like to remain uh, on for the remainder part of the presentation, family. How it affects family. I want to quote 
from uh, this study that was done by Gregory Battelle out of Rochester Institute of Technology. And he says this, Depression is one of the most prevalent psycholo- uh, psychological disorders. Depression can be caused by several factors, including interpersonal relationships. This is a major, a major venue, a major avenue. It's a major uh, conduit for the accessibility to depression, and that's what we're talking about. It's also, of course, interpersonal uh, relations, discussion, communications, and so forth. On the opposite side of the aisle is also the venue and the means by which we, become, we experience happiness, we can experience goodness, and all the things that are on the positive side. But we're not talking about that today. We're talking about what we're talking about, and that is depression and how interpersonal relationships and or discussions affect and open us up to this particular characteristic. Interpersonal relationships are the relationship between individuals and the reactions and emotions. This is science. Every time you sit and you talk to your child, that's a human being. There's emotions involved. There's, there's thoughts involved. And what you say and how you say it, tone of voice, body language, all these things, all affect either to the positive or to the negative. They create joy and hope and happiness, or they create defense, depression, anxiety. So we have to be careful. It's important that we respect one another's space in that regard. Interpersonal relationships are the relationships between individuals and the reactions and emotions of each individual expressed directly or discreetly to each other. Common interpersonal relationships include, and we're talking within the family, the social environment, where where differences in ethnicity and social class even come into play, and, of course, interactions between uh, genders, between genders across age groups for both uh, female and male, uh, female and males. And so... It's important, it's important in this regard that we understand that these depressions and stresses can emerge from interpersonal interaction. So, it becomes, as Christians, I would think, being that we're all servant people and oriented towards serving one another, and this includes wives serving your husbands, I'll get there. Husbands, (laughs) serve your wives, children, obey your moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas too, (laughs) but also moms and dads, respect your children and consider how you are interpersonally acting with them, interpersonally communicating with them. Be cognizant of the leaven on the label. That's the point as we reference the days of unleavened bread because these behavioral interactions are and can be construed as leaven to where the effect, the effect, the effect, E, can be negative. 
in that regard and manifest in the personality of the individual in the form of a reaction that over the years the personalities you're around begin to behave certain ways because you have learned to absorb certain levels of depression that have caused you certain negative reactions that cause people to react in certain ways. That's why I've always often said, change your behavior. Just try changing some things that you yourself catch yourself on, whether it's raising your voice a lot, maybe using crass language, uh, maybe you're impatient in doing certain things, or when you talk to a certain individual, you always cut them off in the middle of their sentence or whatever. Try listening to them. Sit back and see if they don't react to you differently over a period of time and see what kind of different reaction. Because if you get a different reaction, that little beta test should tell you that, you know what, maybe that's a, a step in my, on my part that's kind of a good step to get a different type of environment uh, created. And it can work uh, that way to our, to our benefit and to the benefit of those around us. 30%, and I'm quoting again from this study from George, uh, Gregory, I'm sorry, Gregory uh, Battelle, 30% of all marriages, marriage problems, I'm sorry, 30% of all marriage problems, one spouse, 30% of most, mar- uh, not most, but of marriage problems, according to this study, there is one spouse that can be described, 30%, that's one out of every three, right? Three out of every ten, yeah. Three out of every ten, one out of every three, right? 30%. Point being, suffer from either living with a spouse that can be described as clinically depressed. The reason why? This is interesting. This is important to recognize. That individual might have a unipolar mood disorder. What in the world is a unipolar disorder? Well, a unipolar disorder is the cousin to bipolar disorder. The difference being, the difference being, and this is kind of what I've been kind of talking about if we're not careful, because oftentimes it comes through the mild depression door. It comes through that particular door. Has a different characteristic or a different effect. Bipolar goes up and down. It can be manic, on the high, or it can be low. And these swings of extreme are often associated with bipolarity. Unipolar is it eventually just lays down. Let me quote from the uh, Bipolar Central who stated this on a definition of unipolar, which is uh, rather interesting. Like its sister disorder, bipolar disorder, which is the sister disorder to unipolar disorder, is characterized by severe debilitating depressive episodes of clinical depression or major depression. However, where bipolar disorder consists of cycles of manic high and depressive low, symptoms, unipolar disorder does not. Patients who suffer from unipolar disorder are true 
to the name, are true to the name in that only have symptoms at one end of the spectrum, and that's on the low end. That's on the low end. Depressed people are typically unaffected by a happy moment. These individuals are unaffected by a happy moment. Wow, you got a raise? Rick, that's great! And I can share in that. Dave got a new car? Whoa, he's always wanted that particular car. Great, happy for you. And I I can share in that. Oh, man, you won the championship? That's great. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. I hear you. You know. You what? You got another promotion and now you're relocating to Napa Valley? Wow, right? No big deal. I live in Hinkley. You think you're pretty big, huh? <laughs> Moving to Napa Valley. <laughs> but that's, you get my point. That, that, this is what he's talking about here. And, and sometimes a picture's worth a, a thousand words, as they would say. But he goes on here and he says, uh, the, uh, typically they're unaffected by happy moments. Their mood does not lift in response to the people and or events that surround them. Man, I, I, got, I got tickets to the, the Super Bowl and the Browns are in it. You know? <laughs> Man, are you happy? Am I happy? I'm happy, right? Yeah. So what? We see the Browns in the Super Bowl all the time, right? <laughs> so I, not, I mean, if we lived in New England, I could understand, but not in Cleveland, right? But this is, this is this kind of a person. They often remain apathetic apathy boom be on the lookout apathy watch apathy in your life watch it it says here they often remain apathetic emotionally unresponsive you can't reach them you can't reach them they're they're down and out they're nothing affects them they're just kind of smooth and low uh, down low as they would say Unipolar depression or unipolar disorder is sometimes classified as clinical depression or major depression. The causes, this is interesting, the causes for unipolar disorder are not fully understood. But, and this is true, brethren, there can be uh, variations and can include disruption in uh, uh, neural neural circuits, that's in in the brain, neurochemicals in the brain, genetic predispositions, secondary disorders like post-trauma stress disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, or generalized anxiety disorder, and other related uh, things that uh, depressive disorders are indeed affected by. Some of the symptoms, inability to concentrate, or make decisions, apathetic or flat emotional behavior, Um, irritability, nervousness, anxiety, decreased energy, feeling persistent, 
fatigued. And I could go on and on, and, and I know we might all have a tendency to be hypochondriac psychologically here and say, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a unipolar. No, I'm not saying that. Don't, don't go there, you know. Don't go there. I'm just giving you some heads up. FYI. FYI, if you've got some of these things in your life, I'm not saying you are that way, but what I am saying is beware these are gates. These are gates to your personality that Satan the devil would love to be able to leverage and parlay into a modification of negativity that would cause you to have interpersonal problems in your relationships, whether they be with your friends, whether they be with your children, and especially, brethren, whether they be with your mates. Because a lot of things that we find ourselves contending with are indeed going to come our way. Those of you who are married and have children, you know what happened when you had those children. If you were married two or three or four years, five, six or seven years without a child, and now you have a child, guess what that child does? Is it not reasonable to understand that your relationship is about to change because of the demands of that child? And if you have twins, you've just doubled down. (laughs) And if you had three triplets, or like this one on television the other day, they already had two and they had, uh, what was it, five kids. Five, all three pounders all came out at one time. So all of a sudden they went from two to seven, (laughs) which was quite a few children all of a sudden, immediately. That's going to affect their interpersonal relationship. That's going to affect their interpersonal communications. It's going to take a lot of time. And there's going to be a a lot of opportunity there for them to be, if indeed they allow it, and I'm sure there will be times when they will get depressed. Change of job, I've already mentioned that. You know, you can have betrayal. Uh, You have to move. Even something as simple as this, brethren. An argument. An argument that triggers perhaps an ego in you, be it the lady or be it the man, husband or wife, and consequently converts into, on the one, or maybe on both, stubbornness. No, I'm right. No, you're right. No, I'm right. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you're watching this kind of uh, tennis match going back and forth, and then the stubbornness converts into unforgiveness. There's no way I'm giving in to you. You are dead wrong. No, 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 no. You're dead wrong. (laughs) And that unforgiveness then translates into perhaps one of the biggest tacklers on the defense of team of depression. You know what that is? Grudge holding. Grudge holding. I will never forgive you. I will always keep this against you. And you carry that and you let it mount on you. And then that grudge takes another step to this 350-pound nose tackle called bitterness. And now you become bitter. The Bible has something to say about the root of bitterness that can be fed from quite a few things. Bitterness via jealousy. Envy. The fact that you get to go everywhere and I don't get to go nowhere. The fact that you drive a bigger car than me. 
Or you go on vacation more often than I do. And all of a sudden that bitterness turns into competitiveness. And I got to try to keep up with the Joneses. And that causes anxiety, causes depression, because guess what? Some of us can't keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses just happen to be the Joneses and we're the Smiths, you know. (laughs) And the Smiths can't compete with the Joneses. That's a fact of life. So guess what? Deal with it and let it go. Let it go. You've got your own life. Be happy. As they would say in Jamaica, Ivory, be happy. And understand that your life is what it is. Here in Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 12, we read this. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, there's the picture. The picture is you're coming through this uh, preceding scriptures of being chastised by God because you did something and now you're suffering from the consequences of what you did wrong. And so now you're... Your, your arms are hanging, your knees are shaking, and you're down. That's the picture. You're down and out. Right here, Hebrews, the writer, is telling us this is kind of a depressing situation. But here's what he says. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, he's telling us, and the feeble knees. Make straight your paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. So in other words, you don't want to lose your position. So understand something. You've got to change something. You've got to change something. If you want it to get better, if you're having marital problems and you want it to get better, you've got to change something. You can't, as I've often said, and you've heard me say this over and over, it's almost ad nauseum, of, of Einstein's definition of insanity. And you know what I'm, where I'm going with that, that you just keep repeating what you do over and over and over and expect this, uh, different results, expect different results. Guess what? You're going to drive yourself crazy because you're not going to get different results if you keep repeating the same patterns. Because if you keep repeating the same patterns, you keep generating the same cycles, which generate the same results. So in all due respect, somebody's got to give something up, break rank, and get off that merry-go-round and do something different to afford a different result to interact with the dynamic so that some positive or counterintuitive change, which I would hope would be for the positive, (laughs) would occur. And if indeed... It doesn't, with that effort, then guess what? Pull out another arrow and try to use that as a different approach. But one way or the other, there's something there that you can certainly use that will hopefully help you in a positive way. He says here in verse 13, Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. We read that. Okay, verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail or fall, the Greek word could also be fall, fall uh, from the grace or fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness, see, if you don't do that, you run this risk. You run this risk. A root of bitterness, and that's that 350-pound nose tackle that's, you know, you got to run up that hole in the middle, and there he is. And if you're going to go through him, then you need to follow this this metric here because otherwise it gets pretty bad. He says here, lest a root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat 
sold his birthright, and for you know how that afterward, and this was what I was talking about that I told you I'd get to ultimately, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, I want to re go back here to place, because what that means, he found no place what, he's, what we're being told here is Esau would not change his mind. In other words, instead of taking responsibility and holding himself accountable for selling that uh, birthright for a piece of soup or a, 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 a bowl of soup, he didn't hold himself accountable for that. All he could think about was how Jacob supplanted him and consequently got his blessing and ran off with it. And as a result of that bitterness, he became so obsessed with trying to get even that he wanted to kill his brother. And his father, Isaac, out of concern for Jacob, told him, get out of Dodge. Go to your uh, father-in-law, Laban. You know, get, get out of here. Esau's going to kill you, which you did. Point being, point being, brother, that if we don't change our minds, it only gets worse. Somewhere along the line, we've got to give a little in order to make some progress. And somebody, whether it be the children giving some relief to mom and dad, because it's a two-way street, young people, mom and dad deserve respect too. And they have your best interest at heart. They really do. And sometimes it gets quite depressing as a parent when you do all you can for your child and it doesn't seem like the young person appreciates it. But rather instead, they mouth off, they get snotty and or react in a negative way where it seems to imply disrespect. So young people, beware. It's a two-way street. And if you change your behavior, I bet dollars to donuts, your mom and dad will change their behavior. They'll respond to that. And vice versa, moms and dads, the same thing. We need to treat our young people with respect. And moms and dads and husbands and wives together as well. Lest we open up these doors, unless we open up these doors of opportunity for Satan the devil to use against us through disappointment, loss, and unfulfilled expectation because it will come. It will. I don't even have to be a prophet to say that. (laughs) I mean, that's life. We all have disappointments in life. We all have losses in life. And we all have missed expectations in life. And so consequently, it's up to us not to allow these things to overwhelm us, but to rather keep them in perspective and as a result, uh, control them and steer them in our lives. Because otherwise, if we do allow these things to grow and, and progress and develop into grudge holding, which then the next step is bitterness, wow. That's a sad place to be. That's a sad place to be. 
And yet it can happen. It can happen. And sadly, many of us, over 100 million worldwide, 15 to 20 percent plus in the United States, somewhere along the line, hopefully, God willing, they wake up, but maybe 10 years have passed, and they say, oh, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? How is this getting away from me? What have I been doing all these years? Look what I've done to my husband. Look what I've done to my children. Look what I've done to my wife. You know, or look what my wife has done to me. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? And, and it's true. I've seen it in my own life in many respects with my own mom and my own dad and my grandfathers and grandparents. And I wonder to myself and I scratch my head, how'd they get there? How did they get there? And you know what I'm talking about is some of you who were brought up in the 50s and, and are of my generation and those of you on the internet who are of my generation and the environments that we were brought up in of my mom, my dad, your mom, your dad, uncles, aunts, and grandparents back in 1958, 1961, 19, perhaps 49, 48, this side of World War II. It was a different environment. And that brings me to my, some, some of my questions that I, have to, I want to ask and I have to ask because I think it's important for all of us to come to ask these questions of ourselves. And that is, if I came to your house, what kind of ambience would I walk into? Or better yet, if I moved in, <laughs> I've got my suitcase <laughs> and my overnight bag and my toothbrush, I'm moving in. What could I expect? What would I see? in your home? How would I be treated by you? The interpersonal communiques between husband and wife, kids and moms and dads, what would I observe? What would I notice? Do you ever people watch? I'm sure you do, to a certain extent. Go to a mall, sit in a chair and just watch people and how they interact with their kids and how they interact with their friends when they're at the mall. It's kind of entertaining in some cases. <laughs> but the bottom line is, it's really interesting to ask ourselves these kinds of questions. What would it be like? How would you describe it? Our homes. Could I say that our homes are safe zones? Could I say that the old adage that my mom and dad used to tell me, when I was eight, seven, six, five years old. And I remember this. Oh, Billy, there's no place like home. <laughs> no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> don't take me there. Is that how it is? Oh, coming home to the wife again. Or as some guys would say, the old lady and the wife. Oh, no, he's home again. I can't wait. <laughs> is that how it is? Because, see, brethren, as Christians, it shouldn't be that way. I'm so glad you're home, honey. Woo! Wow, Dad's home. Hey, come on in, Dad. You know, Mom's home. Wow, hey, Mom, how are you? We missed you all day today. Is that how it is? 
How about, let me shift again. Let me shift again. Our church congregations. Are they safe zones? Do we get along? Rick, so glad to see you, man. Oh, man. Oh, no. She's here again. Oh, man, I can't. It's another day at church. I gotta go Sabbath again. That congregation, I don't know. Are our churches safe zones? Do we want to be here? Because guess what? Our attendance, regularity, and so forth tells us one way or the other. Now, there's exceptions, of course, because I know a lot of us are spread around the weather and all that and back and forth and so on, and gas is expensive. And I, I understand reasons for it that are legitimate. But these are things that we have to be honest with ourselves, brutally honest, as to just where are we on the Sabbath and do I really have a legitimate reason or am I just being selfish? And I'm not thinking about what a blessing I could be if I attended church today because I don't know who needs me in the family at church for me to inspire them who they may be coming in a bit down and out, but I'm there for them because I'm really not coming to church for me. You ever think about that? That you're not coming to church for you, but you're coming to church to encourage me? Not necessarily me, but you know what I'm saying. Encourage others. Brethren, it's so important we get outside of ourselves and think servant leadership, servanthood, You're being called to become kings and priests. That means your destiny is to become servants to humanity. First and foremost, servants to humanity. Brethren, our congregations should be safe zones for nurturing and development and education so that we might be able to maximize what God is building in us in these embryonic begotten states of, of uh, impregnation that we're all in, and that is this begettal state that we are, we are in. So I ask, are we proud enough in a good way, a healthy way, to invite friends to our church because we're confident and secure enough that they will get some education, that they will be benefited by some message that a speaker, whether it be myself or others that we have visiting here and there, will bring so that they can walk away and out the door thinking, you know what, I learned something. You know, maybe the only thing that they learned was unipolar. Hey, I know what unipolar means now. <laughs> Nothing else. You know, they, they, they walk out of here. I, know, I never heard that word before, but I, now I know what it means. You know? And that's good. That's okay. At least you learned something. Come on back and you'll learn another word maybe. But the bottom line is, are we as members comfortable enough with the safe zone we have to actually invite others in a secure, confident manner and fashion that we're proud in a healthy way to introduce them to our family, our family out there in the Internet as well because we have so many congregations scattered throughout the world. I hope so, brethren. I really do. Because the same goes for our families, as I was speaking originally Uh, from that point of view. But it does extend out and overlays over on the church. So remember, 
in this different approach that I took, and again, I'd remind you if you want to get into a little bit more detail on the other uh, side of this coin, you can always go on the internet and uh, get that uh, Dealing with Depression, titled Dealing with uh, Depression, I think it was January 2015 that I gave that. But remember, depression can be deflected and with, really only, a warm-hearted affection that is indeed, brethren, is indeed secured in God's love.